What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to another episode of Sports Talk Buffalo. I'm your host, Drew. This week, I'm not going to lie, this podcast is a little tough because, as you know, if you are a Buffalo sports fan, this weekend was not great for the Bills or the UB Bulls. But we'll get into all that in this upcoming episode. So, if you're ready, let's have some fun. Before we jump into the rest of the episode, I just wanted to take a time out to say thank you to everyone who has listened to me in the past and continues to listen to me on a weekly basis. Remember to tell your friends and family about this podcast so we can keep the ball rolling and keep this thing growing. Remind them that they can hear me on any of the major podcasting websites, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and of course, right here on Anchor. They can also follow me on Twitter at SportsTalkBuffalo716. Again, thank you for all the continued support and continued growth of this podcast. So let's keep it going. Now let's jump into the rest of the episode. All right, let's kick off the show as we always do with some top stories from around sports. In the NFL, Bears QB Mitchell Trubisky exited Sunday's game with an apparent shoulder injury and did not return. After the game, Matt Nagy stated that Trubisky will return sooner rather than later as uh, surgery on his shoulder is not required at this point. Also in the NFL, Oakland Raiders linebacker Vontez Burfecht is making headlines again as he was ejected in Sunday's game for an egregious helmet-to-helmet hit. Uh, The NFL is coming down very hard on Burfecht, who is a repeat offender, and he has been suspended for the remainder of the 2019 season without pay. Also in the NFL, the New York Giants rookie linebacker Ryan Connolly will be out for the remainder of the season after he suffered an ACL tear. Going forward with the NFL, the woes continue for the Denver Broncos as not only do they fall to 0-4 on the season, they lose their outside linebacker and fifth overall pick from 2018 Bradley Chubb to an ACL tear. Moving on to the NHL, the Avs sign star uh, restricted free agent Miko Rantanen to a six-year, $55.5 million deal. Rantanen is coming off of a big season where he scored 31 goals and had 87 points. Also in the NHL, Winnipeg Jets re-signed restricted free agent forward Kyle Connor to a five-year, $50 million deal. The Jets also signed their star winner, winger Patrick Lane to a two-year bridge deal worth million. Lonnie is coming off of a very inconsistent season that saw him score 19 of his 30 goals last season in just one month. That's going to do it for top stories in sports. Stick around as in the upcoming segments, we're going to talk about the UB Bulls football game, which was on ESPNU on Saturday, and also the Bills big matchup versus the New England Patriots on Sunday. Let's keep it rolling. All right, let's jump right into it here in segment one as we talk about the UB Bulls versus Miami of Ohio. And right out of the gate, I'm going to start with this question. Do we have a potential QB controversy for the UB Bulls? Now, I say that because during the game, Matt Myers was taken out and replaced by Kyle Van Treese 
And if you didn't know, Kyle Van Treest was handling the punting duties for the Bulls these past few games as Evan Finnegan is healing up from an incredibly brutal leg injury he suffered against Penn State. In this game, Matt Meyer showed a little bit of what I was saying he would show uh, when I talked about him after the Penn State game. He looked cool, he looked calm, he looked comfortable to start out. That was to start out. He did have an amazing pass down the left. First off, he had a great run. Uh, He did fake the ball off to, I believe it was Jared Patterson on the read option. Comes around the side for roughly like a 22-yard gain or something like that. And on the very next play, he drops an absolute dime. I'm When I mean dime, the, the coverage couldn't get any better on Antonio Nunn. And he drops the ball perfectly into Nunn on the left sideline in the back corner of the end zone. Just enough so Nunn can get one knee in bounds, which is a catch. Nunn holds onto the ball. 20-yard touchdown pass, great, everything's clicking. It's looking very, very good for Matt Myers and UB, especially in their passing game. That was the high point. There's a ton of low points in this game, unfortunately. Matt Myers was very, very subpar and has been since the Penn State game, in my opinion. Since they played Penn State, where I thought that he looked really good and really comfortable playing in front of 104,000 people, These last few games have not been very good against uh, Temple, a game in which the Bulls won. They weren't expected to win as Temple came off of a very solid win against a ranked Maryland team, but Buffalo had their way with Temple, especially running the ball. Their defense was lights out, and the game was not as close as the score states at the end. But in this game, Matt Myers uh, against Temple, he was 9 of 15 for just 62 yards and an interception. He did have five carries for three yards and a touchdown also in this game, but those are the things that you want to see more of from not just Myers and not just the wide receivers, but the passing game as a whole. And coming into that game, it doesn't bestow a lot of confidence in the coaches and I'm sure in the wide receivers and things like that. They come into Miami of Ohio, and Myers just gets beat up. He was getting beat up all game long. He took several hits, and it's a a testament to how tough this kid really is. He took several monster hits in this game, and you could see it starting to affect him slowly but surely. He started to get happy feet in that pocket, and on the pick six, I don't know what the right guard was doing. He let a blitzer come in completely free, untouched. Myers, being a redshirt freshman, makes a throw that I would that I would guess a redshirt freshman would make, and throws it right to the uh, right to the DB um, as he's fading. But you can tell that he is shook from being blasted all those times because during that throw, Myers is leaning backwards, throwing it sidearm, trying to get it out of his hands so that he doesn't take another huge hit, which he ends up taking anyway, unfortunately. And then he throws the pick six, and that's kind of what completely swung the momentum over to Miami of Ohio, as that gave them the lead. In this game, Myers finished just four of 16 for 59 yards and one touchdown. He had two interceptions. He did carry the ball five times for 15 yards in this game. 
when he was replaced by Kyle Van Treesvant. Now I, I get it. The game was pretty much out of reach at this point. The the Bulls weren't going to win. Miami was probably playing a little bit of prevent defense, but Van Trees came in and he was three of four for 30 yards. So, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what, maybe there's a problem with Matt Myers. Maybe there's a problem with the wide receivers. Maybe there's a problem with the game plan. Now, I understand very, very much that the run game is going to be the bread and butter for the Bulls. There's no question about it. It has to be. And judging by the first five games of the season, it absolutely has to be the bread and butter for the Bulls if they want to gain bowl eligibility for the third season in a row. Yes, let me say that again. The Bulls can potentially gain bowl eligibility for the third year in a row. The Bulls, up until this point, have only had three bowl appearances total. And yes, I said three bowl eligible three years in a row. When the Bulls were six and six, uh, they did not, they unfortunately were one of the teams left out. They did not get a bowl game, even though a lot of people uh, around here in Western New York really believed they, they should have uh, potentially gotten, uh, have gotten that bowl game over some of the other teams that did get it. Anyway, to be bowl eligible for the third year in a row, I think it would be very, very big for this program, especially after everything that they've lost. That would show any potential recruits coming in that it doesn't matter that this coaching staff has it on lockdown that they're going to consist they're going to win and they're going to win consistently and that is going to in my opinion help bring better and better and better recruits in here to Buffalo so that we can compete at a bigger level. For me, that's kind of what the goal is at in all this. The goal is to win and win consistently so that more and better recruits want to come here, more fans go to games. It it just creates an overall atmosphere in Western New York, and I want big-time college football here in Western New York. It has been incredibly fun watching them over the past few years, and the more I watch them and the more I look at their recruiting, the more invested I become. If you have not watched a UB game, uh, I urge you to to start watching. You will start to be, have a sense of pride. I have, I'm not a UB alum, so I mean, you can take that right off the table. I'm just a, a born and bred Western New Yorker, and I said this on the pod, on this podcast before. I really wanted to get involved in college sports in Western New York. So a few years ago, I really started to become invested. And you know what? It has not disappointed. It has been very fun. It has been awesome to watch UB on Saturdays for the beginning of the season. And they, they play some games on Thursdays and Tuesdays and things like that. But it has been incredibly fun, especially to go on 247sports.com, look up their recruits, things like that. But we're going to move on and talk about the offensive line. Now, like I said before, Matt Myers was getting absolutely buried on just about every single drop back that he had in this game against Miami of Ohio. And it baffles me. And the reason why it baffles me is because the offensive line is returning four of the five starters, four of the five. The only starter that hasn't, that didn't return this year was James O'Hagan, the center. Now I know that's a huge piece, but the center was the only one that didn't return this year on that offensive line. So I expected the O-line to be a lot better in pass protection than it has been. Now saying that, you also have to take into account the fact that Tyree Jackson is a freak athletically. 
and he would make a lot of he would roll out of the pocket a lot. He would make a lot of plays on the run, and he really made things happen. He, I mean, perhaps he made the offensive line in pass protection look a little bit better than what they have been so far this year. Now, also when it comes to the pass game, I noticed some things in last game that are a bit concerning to me. A lot of teams in the uh, NCAA, they like to throw bubble screens and they like to throw screen passes and they like to get the ball out of the, the you know the quarterback's hands quick and get it to the playmakers quick, especially if he's getting beat up in this game. Now, I didn't see a whole lot of route combinations. And maybe it's just me. Like I said, I just watched it live. I took notes and... and, and things like that. I didn't go back and really watch any game tape or anything. So if I'm wrong, please correct me. You can always leave a voicemail online here um, on anchor.com, anchor.fm slash Drew or Sports Talk Buffalo, wherever you find me, you can, wherever you're listening to this podcast, you can go right on Anchor and leave me a message if you want, and I can potentially put you into this episode so that other people can hear your opinion and things like that. You can also get at me on Twitter at SportstalkBuff1. Again, the play calling to me was a bit concerning. When I watch Matt Myers drop back to throw, I don't see a whole lot of variation in terms of the routes being run by receivers. I don't see a lot of posts. I don't see a lot of uh, out routes. I don't see a lot of slants. I don't see a lot of screen uh, passes. I see a lot of go routes is what I see. And teams are now starting to figure out the Bulls and the offense that they're going to run. They're going to stack the box against UB. They're going to stop, try to do their best to stop Jarrett Patterson and Kevin Marks. And they're going to double Antonio Nunn. They're not going to let him beat you deep. Again, that is what has worked the last few weeks. They basically took Nunn out of the game. And I mean, the running game has still been there because we have two absolutely incredible backs uh, that we have running the ball here at UB. We are very fortunate, especially that they're both just sophomores and they're running this well already. But again, a game plan needs to be updated and, and they really need to figure out a way to make this not such a one-dimensional team because the last few weeks, teams have started to figure them out, or the teams that have beaten UB have started to figure them out. They've seen that if you just stack the box, double Antonio Nunn, don't let him beat you deep, that the team is not going to be very successful. Now, if UB can stay ahead of the chains, and by that I mean get solid gains on first and second down, and don't put them in a lot of third and longs, then this team will be successful. But again, when teams start stacking the box because they don't respect you throwing the ball at all, it's going to make things so much more difficult for the Bulls to win games. Now, now that we talked about the offense, I want to talk about the defense. And I want to say that since the game against Liberty, that the defense has really tightened up. It didn't seem like it in the, in the game against Miami of Ohio, but they have really tightened up. I thought the secondary played very, very, very well. And guys like Joey Banks and Apri Washington are really starting to jump out of the screen to me as being very talented DBs 
for the Bulls this season. Now, Joey Banks is a JUCO transfer. Apri Washington is a fairly high three-star recruit. So we have we do have some talent on the defensive side of the ball. They got a bunch of pressure against Temple, created a bunch of turnovers. In this game, again, they were battling a lot of short fields. So I don't want to put a lot of it on the defense. They, you know, I thought they that for the most part until the last little bit of the game, that they had played very, very, very well. And they were the ones that were kind of keeping UB in that game all along. Now, if you didn't watch the game, I want to say that there were two pretty egregious plays in this game that really potentially cost, I don't want to say cost, well, it could have cost them the game. Okay, there was a field goal. The Bulls' defense stood up tall, stood up big. At this point, the score was 14-3. They forced Miami of Ohio to, to have a field goal try. They kicked a field goal. It's good. But the Bulls are called for lining up directly over the long snapper. Now, go back to replay. The Bulls are nowhere near the center and long snapper in this play. Who gets knocked over is the guard standing next to the center. And they call the Bulls for that. It is a 15-yard penalty, and it is an automatic first down. Miami of Ohio does what uh, a good team would do. And they score a touchdown, and they really make the Bulls pay for that refereeing mistake. There was four points right there off the bat that instead of going into halftime, uh, that it, it would be potentially... 14 to 6 or 14 to 9, I can't remember. I believe it would have been like 14 to Yeah, it would have been 14 9 going into halftime because they kicked another field goal. Instead of being 14 9 going into halftime, it ended up being 14 to 13, and things really started to shift over to Miami of Ohio's way. Now, again, uh in the second half, Matt Myers throws a ball, it's tipped. And it looks like it's going to be, it looks like it is intercepted, but on further review, the ball hits the ground and it looks more like a trap. Um, that is a, you know, and I think that Miami comes down and scores on that next possession. Again, that is 11 points that the referees kind of handed over to Miami of Ohio in that. And those are two very, very big mistakes um, by the refereeing crew. Other than that, I didn't really have any complaints. I thought it was a, a fairly uh, refereed game for the most part. But as as far as I, UB goes, if they want to get bowl eligibility, if they want to continue um, on the upward trend, they're going to have to figure out a way to get this passing game working. That's getting Lefebvre, uh, the tight the the Bulls tight end, into the game more. That's finding a way to scheme and get Antonio Nunn open. That's finding out how to get other guys in uh, the wide receiver room open uh, for Matt Myers to be able to hit them with the passes. Um, But that's going to do it for this segment. Uh, Joining me on the next segment, we're going to talk about the Buffalo Bills and their huge matchup with the New England Patriots. Both teams went into the game 3-0 Huge implications. First place for the AFC East was on the line. Stick around and find out what happens. (music) 
All right, welcome back to segment two. In this segment, we're going to talk about the Buffalo Bills and the New England Patriots meeting in week four. Two 3-0 teams going at it. Two defenses that a lot of people didn't necessarily know how good they were. We got our answer. They are both incredibly good. Probably both top five in the NFL as they just stymied each other all game long. In this game, I want to talk about the good and the bad, and I want to end on a good note, so I'm going to start with the bad, and the bad is Josh Allen's quarterback play, unfortunately. In this game, Allen was 13 of 28 for 153 yards and three interceptions. Now, he looked overwhelmed, and his mechanics looked bad in this game. They just looked bad in my opinion. That's just me. Now, was it because he had happy feet? Was it because he was getting pressure? I'm not sure. But in this game, he his mechanics looked bad. He threw several passes off his back foot. He threw like what looked like, I would describe them as fadeaway passes, falling away from the line of scrimmage, using all of his arm to just throw it up to receivers, not following through, And a lot of the plays that wide receivers may have been able to make, Allen overthrew him by about five, you know, roughly five yards or so. So he did not have a very good game. Obviously, Bill Belichick is very famous for making young quarterbacks look silly, and he did it again. Josh Allen looked bad in this game. He looked bad. Um, He did have five carries for 26 yards. He did have a touchdown where he leaped over the line. Um, and, and broke the plane and got the touchdown. But again, he didn't look good. He didn't look comfortable all game long. The pass protection on a lot of plays, on some plays it was there, don't get me wrong, where Allen had tons of time to stand in the pocket and try to make a play. Other times, he it wasn't there. He was scrambling around, and it looked like the defenses and the, the things that the New England Patriots were showing Josh Allen really confused him. He made several, several, several very poor decisions in this game. I thought that he wasn't doing what he did that made him successful, especially in the last two games, and that is taking what the defense gave him. There was a play, I I forget when it was in the game, that he had a wide receiver running from right to left, had two steps, on the defender, if he would have just dumped the ball off, it was roughly five yards from the line of scrimmage, if he would have dumped the ball off, that was a one-on-one play. The rest of the play was on the right side of the field, and he could have potentially thrown a touchdown by just taking what the defense gave him in that situation. He played a lot of what I would call hero ball. He was just trying to make big play after big play after big play instead of just marching down the field like he had the past few games and and making the throws when he needed to and making the big plays when he needed, you know, when they were there, okay? In this game, it they weren't there. He had three interceptions where he looked like he was just trying to force it into coverage and it, it kept getting picked off. You're not going to be able to get away with that against a team like New England. They are too fundamentally sound, and their defense is too good. You cannot turn the ball over and expect to win the game. 
even though they turned the ball over a ton and they still had a chance to win the game at the end. Another example of Allen playing hero ball, it was a second down or maybe it was a third down, like a third down and eight. This is the play that has caused a big uproar around the NFL, especially in Western New York. Now, I was as mad as anybody. I was livid that there was offsetting penalties on this play. I was absolutely incensed. The fact that the starting quarterback could get knocked unconscious and there's offsetting penalties. By the way, I would just want to say that that is a completely stupid and ridiculous rule. I think if if the penalties both match and they're both uh, 15-yard penalties, then yes, they should offset. Or if they're 10-yard penalties, then yes, they should offset. But just because there's a foul on on either team, I, I just, I'm not sure they should offset completely, especially uh, a personal foul and a holding penalty. They seem completely different, but that's besides the point. Allen doesn't see anything. He goes to run. It's a, I think it's a third and eight. He goes to run. He's about to get tackled about a yard short. He tries to fight through the tackle. He leans forward and gets smacked. He gets smacked. Now, at first glance, where the camera was, it looked like the defender lowered his head and put it in Josh Allen's chin and knocked him completely out. Josh Allen was out before he hit the ground. When you watch it again and again and again and again and again, as I did, you start to see that it wasn't as dirty of a play as it seemed when you first watch it. When you're not, if you watch it with an open mind and you don't watch it completely full of rage and emotion, that not only did it happen, but it happened against the New England Patriots, and you really, I mean, you start to understand. Josh Allen was going down. He was leaning forward. He was trying to get the first down. The defender was trying to make a play. It looks like the defender actually turns to the side. He doesn't lead with his head. He's trying to hit Josh Allen with a shoulder. Their heads collide. It looks like the top of Josh Allen's head hits the side of the defender's helmet, and that's kind of what knocks Josh Allen completely unconscious on the ground. As for that, I just want to say for anyone that hated on Josh Allen and thought that Matt Barkley should be the starting quarterback, you're going to get a chance to see what Matt Barkley can do as your starting quarterback. He had a great one game last year. He had a fantastic preseason as he was often the leader in terms of QBR and things like that in this this past preseason. But I just, I don't think Matt Barkley is the guy. If he was the guy, he would have <laughs> not been at, out of football for, I think he was out of football for a year. The Bills kind of pulled him right back into it. But you're going to get the Matt Barkley experience. Uh, Josh Allen is going to most likely be out with a concussion. He has to pass concussion protocol to play in Sunday's game. It normally is, uh, from everything that I've seen, it, it takes longer than a week. Consider him out uh, at least week to week at this point. Um, and that is a huge blow as the Bills are still 3-1. and one. They're still 3-1. and one. The season's not over. The Bills have real possibility of winning 10 games with this defense for the first time since 1999. They have a real possibility. And maybe they still have that possibility with Barkley under center. But I just think Allen gives them the best chance to win every single Sunday. Now moving on with more bad... There's a lot of bad in this game, unfortunately. Special teams, 
huge mistake by the special teams. Getting the punt blocked for a touchdown is something that you cannot have happen against the New England Patriots. If you saw the way they lined up, uh, you go back and you watch that play. The Bills had a gunner at the bottom of the screen on the left-hand side. If you're looking behind the punter, he was from behind the punter. He was on the left, left-hand left side, the left sideline. If you're watching from the TV angle, he was on the bottom of the screen. There was nobody near him. Nobody near him. They were trying to block that punt. If Borquez or the Bills special teams notices that, they should have some sort of check, audible, whatever, to just throw the ball out there and try to get it to that guy who then has nothing but green space in front of him to make a big play. That could have potentially been a touchdown if Borquez can just get the pass out there. It doesn't have to look pretty. It doesn't have to be a tight spiral. He just has to get it there, and there's nothing but green grass in front of him for the gun. I don't know who the gunner was, but for the gunner to just run downfield and potentially have a huge play. That is a that is a missed play on two fronts. Not only did they miss that and, and try to get that out there, they could have done a, uh, a fake, got it out to the, the gunner and had a first down. But then the punt is blocked and taken in to the end zone for a touchdown. My goodness, that was bad in all facets of the the play. That was just horrible. Speaking of punter, when the hell are we going to get rid of Borquez? He averaged 36 yards a punt on five punts yesterday, including one 20-yard punt where he shanked completely. How often do we have to see this kid shank punts for us to, to finally get rid of him and try to bring somebody else in that's going to do a better job? Games shouldn't be won and lost by the punter. That's giving the, the a team that you can't give free yards. That's just giving them free yards. You can't do that. Another bad thing in this game is the wide receivers looked like they had difficulty creating separation against this very, very good New England Patriots secondary. And that seemed like it was a very big problem. Something that they didn't quite have as much of a problem with the first uh, few weeks of the season. Even when Josh Allen had loads of time, tons of time, no one was able to create enough separation to come back for the ball or what have you for Allen to be able to throw it to them. And that was a very big problem in this game as well. It showed that the Bills definitely don't have a number one receiver and that they're trying to win by committee. Now, Speaking of receivers, I want to talk about Zay Jones. He has been a very hot topic uh, in Western New York the past 24 hours. He's been a hot topic since last year, realistically. He has been absolutely dreadful. There's no other way to say that. He's been terrible. Beyond terrible. And my question is, at what point do we have to... At what point... Do we get rid of this guy? At what point do we think to ourselves, he is not bringing anything to the team that Duke Williams cannot bring to this team? Is he a good blocker? Sure. Can Duke Williams block? Yes. He's already proven that in the in the preseason. But 
With Duke, at least you have a red zone threat. You have a big receiver. You have a guy you can just throw the ball up to him and say, here, go get it. And he has tremendous hands and tremendous size. He does, he's not a burner. He's not going to blow you away with his speed. But he's got adequate enough speed to play in the NFL. He's got fantastic hands. He's got uh, uh, great ball skills. And I tell you what, he should be on the Buffalo Bills 53-man roster. The fact that he's not on the Buffalo Bills 53-man roster makes me scratch my head quite a bit. Especially, there was a fourth down, uh, fourth and goal, and the Bills went for it. I thought that maybe they should have kicked the field goal there, but they went for it. It was a very gutsy play. I'm not going to fault McDermott for, for going after the win for far too long. In Buffalo, we've seen guys maybe just kick the field goal and, you know, eh, well, maybe, I mean, we played a close game against the Patriots. No, we're not, we're not doing that anymore. I love the attitude of McDermott. He's going after it. He wants to win. There's none of this moral victories nonsense of past, uh, coaching regimes. McDermott wants to win, and you can tell how much he wants to win. He is willing to go for it on fourth down, I think from the two or three yard line in the fourth quarter with nine minutes or something like that to go. They ended up throwing it up to Zay Jones. They get pressure on Barkley. He throws it up to Zay Jones, which again, why? Uh, Zay Jones can't come down with it, and it looked like it was intercepted, but it was trapped, and the call was overturned, but still. If that is Duke Williams in that situation, Duke is two inches taller and his hands are way better. I think he comes down with that catch. I think that he is the perfect kind of fade route type runner in the red zone. He's got such a big body that it will be very hard for defenders to get around him if he can box them out in and around the end zone. Moving on. Dawson Knox needs to be involved more. The fact that Dawson Knox hasn't been involved more in this offense, especially after his tremendous run last week, is kind of baffling to me. And the fact that uh, Lee Smith was out there for half the freaking offensive plays, it that blows my absolute mind. That blows my mind because there is zero chance that Lee Smith is going to beat anybody downfield. There's zero chance that Lee Smith is some sort of matchup nightmare to anybody. He is known for his blocking prowess. His blocking. You have him in there on running plays. That's it. He shouldn't be running routes. He shouldn't be on the team, but he shouldn't be out there running routes. That's my opinion. I think Dawson Knox is starting to show that he has great hands. He creates a mismatch that we haven't had at the tight end position in a very long time. And he has big playability. Why are we not getting this kid more involved? I'm not sure. He had three catches for 58 yards this past game. And I think he he could have, scheming wise, he could have potentially had a heck of a lot more. He's a big target for Allen to be able to throw to. He can be a security blanket for Josh Allen. That's my opinion. He needs to get more involved. Now let's move on with the good part of this game, which was the defense. And my goodness was the defense good. It was insane. I didn't think the defense was this good, but my gosh, the defense is good. They held the the Patriots to one touchdown. One touchdown. 
in this game, the Patriots offense to one touchdown, the greatest quarterback ever to one touchdown in this game. That is how good this defense is. They held Brady to nine of 39 or 18 of 39 throwing, I beg your pardon, for 150 yards and an interception. And that interception came in a place where Tom Brady doesn't throw interceptions, and that was in the end zone. Also, talking about defense, Tremaine Edmonds is starting to look like the player they drafted him to be last year. He is becoming an absolute star, in my opinion. I love Tremaine Edmonds. I think he's going to be an absolute stud on this defense for a very long time. In this game, he led all Buffalo Bills tacklers. He had seven tackles, solo tackles, four assisted tackles. He was everywhere in this game. He was great. Also, just my opinion, Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde may be the best safety duo in the NFL. They might be the best safety duo in the NFL. They really locked down the back end for the Buffalo Bills, and they have been just spectacular since coming to Buffalo. Another player that I noticed that people are, they might knock me for this opinion. Uh, They might tweet at me. They might do all those things. But Ed Oliver, he didn't have a tackle. He didn't have a sack, but he was in the backfield a lot. He was in the backfield quite a bit. He was collapsing that pocket. He was making Tom Brady very uncomfortable. He wasn't allowing Brady to to be able to stand in there and make any plays. When you get Tom Brady to roll out and move out of that pocket, you have won. You have won that play because Tom Brady is not as accurate when he's running or when he's rolling out to his right or his left for that matter. If he's if he doesn't have a clean pocket and you are are disrupting his throwing lanes and you're getting in his face, He is ineffective, and you saw that on Sunday. Another thing the Buffalo Bills defense did great was they shut down Sony Michel. That might not be as big of a deal as it was last year because Sony Michel came into the game, I think, averaging something like 2.7 yards a carry. And in this game, he had 17 carries for 63 yards, no touchdowns, 3.7 yards per carry. They just shut him down. They took him out of the game, and they really wanted to get Michelle going so that Tom Brady didn't have to throw the ball 39 times because, as you've seen against the Bills, doesn't work out well. As far as the Buffalo Bills game goes, there are no moral victories. The Bills lost. They lost. Is it the end of the world? No, it's not the end of the world. Is it the end of the season? No, it's not the end of the season. The Bills are still 3-1. and one. I think they're third in the AFC right now. Uh, behind Kansas City and, of course, the Patriots. But I tell you what, man, I said it before, I'll say it again. This team is trending up. They are so good. They ha- If they don't turn the ball over, if they can get Josh Allen to just not turn the ball over, they're going to win 10 games. They're going to win 10 games. That's my opinion. That's not a hot take. I really They have a, a fairly easy schedule. I think the Bills can win 10 games this year, and I really hope they can because it will be the first time they win 10 games, as I mentioned before, since 1999. That's going to do it for this episode of Sports Talk Buffalo. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you tell your friends and family 
that they can hear me on any of the major podcasting websites, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and of course right here on Anchor. If you want to get involved in the show, you can obviously leave me a voice message right on the Anchor website. You can also tweet at me at SportstalkBuff1 on Twitter uh, or follow me and get any news and notes and things like that and my opinion on a lot of the things that are going on with the Buffalo sports scene. With that said, the NHL kicks off on Wednesday. The Sabres regular season starts on Thursday. Uh, They take on the Pittsburgh Penguins, who they played their last preseason game against, who they beat in a shootout. This time it's for real, though. The regular season for the Sabres starts. Some people are excited. Some people are not. I'm pretty excited. I'm always excited. I love hockey. You'll hear hockey talk on this also. But the game starts at 7 o'clock. It is on MSG as it always is. So if you're looking for something to watch on Thursday night, by all means, tune in. It is going to be the first uh, game for Ralph Kruger as the Sabres' new head coach. Let's see if what Jason Botterill did in the offseason was enough. I'm not sure that it is, but he's made some decent additions. Let's just hope the Sabres can compete and get close to a playoff spot. That's all I'll say about that. With that, I'm going to wrap up this episode of Sports Talk Buffalo. Once again, thank you guys for listening. I hope you have a good week.